Welcome to the Speak Your Way to Cash podcast, a podcast where we teach speakers how to land paid speaking engagements and corporate contracts. Each week, we deliver high-quality content that teaches you how to level up your speaking business. Be sure to join the Speak Your Way to Cash Facebook group after having your mind blown by this information-filled episode. Now, here's your host, Ashley Kirkwood, lawyer and professional speaker. This is the Speak Your Way to Cash podcast. Hey guys, it's Ashley Kirkwood back again with the Speak Your Way to Cash podcast. And today we have with us Felicia Hatcher. And I'm saying your name correctly, right? You are. You are. Okay, okay. awesome, awesome, awesome. She is phenomenal. <laughs> um, if you go to her website, which I'll be sure to link to, you can see that she's spoken at some of the largest corporations in America and on some gorgeous stages across the country done TEDx talks, all of that great stuff. So Felicia, welcome to Speak Your Way to Cash. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on your show, Ashley. Definitely. And Felicia, I know that you've done a number of things over your career. What is it that you currently do and what kind of um, led you to make speaking a large part of your business? Sure, sure. Um, So I I currently am the co-founder and executive director of Space Call Tribe Co-work and Urban Innovation Lab in Miami. Uh, we also put on a national conference called Black Tech Week uh, coming into its sixth year. And um, then we run a program uh, called Code Fever. And so all the work that we do is around ridding communities of innovation deserts and then making sure that we are equipping um, um, minorities as well as um, with all the tools, skills, policy, spaces, and support that they need in order to be valued within the innovation economy and show up and play a much bigger a role that leads them to being a financial beneficiary of everything that the innovation economy provides is the easiest way for me to sum up the work that we do. Okay, perfect. And prior to this, you actually started your own venture-backed company. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I ran a food company, a gourmet popsicle manufacturing company, to be exact, uh, in Miami for for seven years. Uh, Prior to that, I worked for some tech companies uh, on the product launch side. So work with Nintendo, work with Sony, I work with McKee Foods, who owns Little Debbie Snack Cakes, really random time in my life. Uh, And then uh, I also work for the NBA um, as a front office marketing manager, overseeing the the Minnesota Lynx WNBA team and and all the marketing branding efforts for for that. So really interesting career uh, leading up to the work that that, that I do now. That's awesome. And how did or when did speaking become something that you began to monetize and add as a revenue stream for your business? Yeah, you know what? It started my freshman year in college, actually. And so I won $130,000 in scholarships to go to college, uh, but I was a C student. So my GPA when I graduated high school may have been a 2.7, but it was as low as a 2.1 in high school. And so I I rent, won a bunch of scholarships, kind of bucking the system and doing all these non-traditional things of marketing myself um, with all the things that I was doing and not having people kind of only focus on my grades. And so that led me down a path of like, once that happens, people are just like, can you come teach me? Can you come teach? Can you come work with my kids? And so I started an educational consulting company at 19 years old with a friend of mine, uh, James Taylor. Uh, didn't even know what education consulting was at the time, but that's what we were doing and that's what we were asked to do. And I just love sharing, like, this is how I did it. These are the things that people aren't telling you. And um, and so that's what started. Like my very first paid speaking engagement was $125. Ashley, you couldn't tell me that I wasn't like rolling in the dough of like, <laughs> it's like one, just the epiphany of like, hey, people will actually pay me to right. show up and speak. Um, and, and that is not the full story. Like we know that, right. It's so much right. more that kind of goes into that. We got really expensive brains that we need people to be paying for this information, but that was what set me out on that journey. So it was very much a workshop style of like, Hey, pay me and I'll come and deliver this workshop on like, you know, how to get scholarships as a C student or non-traditional students or when your grades aren't your biggest selling point and just kind of really showing students and parents. And like foundations and organizations and all these places, just kind of churches kind of start coming out the woodwork, like, hey, we'll fly you to our city and we'll pay you. And at the time, it was just like, I didn't care what I was going to be paid. If you're going to pay me $50, like that was more <laughs> than what the job on college campus was paying me. And so not really realizing exactly like there was this whole industry to kind of support that until I got a, a mentor um, that taught me some really um, valuable lessons. Uh, his name is James Ants that kind of really helped me kind of set the tone of like turning this into a real business. 
Okay, great. That's phenomenal. And you've said a lot of things that I think people need to key in on, one of which being you had, you'd done something that people were interested in, and then that attracted some clients to you. And a lot of people, they want to speak prior to developing that expertise or prior to having something necessarily to teach because they're just phenomenal speakers. But I think when you when you do something that people are interested in and you can attract those initial clients, that is a phenomenal place to be in. But how did they know that you'd acquired $130,000 in scholarships being a C student? Did you write a book? Were you doing some marketing? How were they learning about what you had accomplished? Yeah. So, I mean, at the time I had written like an ebook before ebooks, I think were even ebooks, right? Um, Just a really like, this is how I did it. Here were my winning essays. Like, nothing fancy at all, right? And I think Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, famously said, like, if you're not embarrassed by, like, the first iteration of your your product, you waited too late to start. And so I'm hella embarrassed. Don't go looking through <laughs> Google and finding that thing. It was, it was really bad, but it got the job done. It was something tangible that I could share with people. One of the things that I think really helped, a few things that really helped me, but one, um, the organizations that, that gave me scholarships, and I had won a total of five, um, I then went on and like won some grants while I was in college as well at Lynn University. You know, they, of course, because they're giving out money and substantial money, they are the ones that start putting it out into into the media, and that that helped a lot. I would say the thing that really catapulted the biggest is my mom. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course, yeah. right? like your kid, you know, your kid when you thought that they may not make it out of high school end up winning 130000 and you don't have to spend a dime on college like every rooftop possible my mom was just like look at how amazing my kid is yeah um, yeah and, and and the basic stuff right to the church pastor to the youth like um pastor to like people at her her job my mom was a is, a, is still an like educator college professor and a um and works in the in the school district as well. And she had those connections, right? So that helped. She was a part of a union, the classroom teachers um, union, who I ended up getting a small scholarship. So she's literally wherever my mom could spread the word. Like my mom was like my hype person and probably the best promoter of getting me those few um, unpaid speaking engagements and then also some paid speaking engagements as well. Okay, that's really, that's that's critical too. And for those of you who are listening who are like, well, my parents aren't bragging on me every day. <laughs> One thing you can do, um, everyone in the Speak Your Way to Cash community, is make sure people know. Right, make sure your right. community knows when you do something great. And don't judge greatness by what you think is great. Because sometimes we have really high standards for <laughs> ourselves. But trust me, tell people what you're doing. You never know how that'll help. So this is great. And you're 19 at this point starting this education consulting company. At what point did you start pitching clients? Was that still, did you start doing that soon after? Yeah, so so I I think once I saw like, hey, this is a way for us to actually start making money with this company we were running on our college campus, I, I started pitching a lot, right? But to similar organizations. And so like the Urban League booked me, then like we were going to the um to the, to the NAACP and asking them right or looking at organizations that had similar like youth focused programs, college prep programs. We built out college prep programs for organizations as well. Um, DeVry University, like they booked us at one point, and so like I was like, oh wait, like universities, of course, like I can see how we could be a very good partner for them because of course, like if students can figure out the funding situation, even non traditional students then it opens up to enrollment for these colleges and universities. And so there were a lot of epiphanies going on because again, like we were just 19, my business partner had won like a full ride um, sports scholarship. So he could speak on like that area. I could speak on um, getting scholarships when your grades suck and your parents are broke because that was me. And and so it was a lot of that. It was a lot of prospecting in the, in the very beginning. And then I think for me, getting, I don't remember if I got booked at DECA or I think it was FBLA first. And so then that kind of opened up like, hey, I can speak on college campuses more. And then I can also speak on college uh, and high school conferences. And And then when I FBLA, for those of listening, that is a conference that's still going on. And basically a lot of hundreds of decision makers will come to that one conference and a variety of individuals will speak. Thousands, right? And so like national has about 20,000, uh, between 15 and 20,000 
um, not just students, but advisors, sponsors, board members, and all of that stuff that that come to that conference every year. And you know, starting to speak there at, in college, I I still speak at um, FBLA and DECA conferences is now. They're not so much my target audience now as they were back then, but you know, once I really kind of fully understood what was going on, what the industry was, getting some really good advice from James Ants, even just around like my pricing, you know, he was just like, what is this 150, 200? Like, what are you doing? Like, he's like, you need to charge an increment of 500 or a thousand, like none of that, like 122, like just these yeah. random numbers we come up with because we're just like, you look at it and just say, oh my God, like I made $125 for 30 minutes of my time. Like, right. you know, on my college campus, it was like eight. I don't even know if $8 an hour was what the minimum wage was. It was probably less than that. And, you know, to go to now, like now I charge $20,000 for a keynote um, speech. And so it's definitely been a, like a long career in, in that. But I would say from transition points and went from doing kind of the churches and like the nonprofits to really kind of hitting doing, trying to do the high school circuit a little bit, which was, girl, if I had hair, my hair would be gone as far yeah. as like how, how stressful it is if you don't fully understand that oftentimes they don't have honorarium budgets, but they do have curriculum budgets. And so I turned that really crappy ebook into like an actual book um, and printed book that I self-published that ended up getting us a, a, um, a publishing deal with, with Peterson's. But like I used that as a tool to then open up the doors for me to larger speaking engagement. So I did the college circuit and kind of college kind of leadership um, education conferences for a long time. So that moved me into being between 1500 to about like 5,000 that I was charging. And so that is what transitioned me from being able to start charging more for, for my, my talks. Um, but then also not, even though when, when I started charging more, the other part that was stressful is that some of the conferences that I would go to would then pile like five speaking engagements or workshops on, in, into that. And so then getting much more clarity about like what I was speaking on, who my core audience was, and then what I was saying no to also kind of really helped me along that path quite a bit. And so like the work that I do now um, has fueled my speaking in, in two ways. Like one, I use speaking to raise like a lot of money for my organization. And then two, it's an actual business for me as, as well. And so with Code Fever and Black Tech Week and the work that we've done, I've raised uh, about $4 million. Um, over the course of the five years of, of the organization. And, has and a it lot of pitching or through speaking to rooms full of um, qualified donors. Yeah, so so that's it, right? And so it's been very little pitching, right? Maybe okay. I've pitched on a stage maybe twice in my like in the five years. Um, but even like the one time that I did pitch, I didn't win the pitch, but then we end up winning like a hundred thousand dollar contract with like uh, NBC Universal, right? And so right. speaking for me has is the way that I deliver our message the best. I evangelize for for the work that we do. I also get to storytell about the context of what it means to be an innovator, right? And how we define innovators in this space, and who are we not looking at and missing out on opportunities if we make sure like they're funded the right way and they're supported. And so I got all these stories about like you know the Jitney taxi before Uber and things like that. And so that has helped us as an organization raise significant funding because that's how I, that's my zone of genius, right? Evangelizing, yeah. storytelling, um, and taking people on a journey as to why investing in these communities that you overlook is, is, is extremely important. Um, that has helped drastically, right? And I can pinpoint every time I've been on a stage and directly correlate that to funding that I've been able to raise for the organization or a meeting that I wasn't able to get outside of them seeing me on the stage that has been really, really important. And so that is one component. Um, and then on my personal speaking side of, of the business and my, my business blurred factory, right? It's kind of like my catch-all for consulting and then also um, speaking. Um, last, well, I would say the, what, the end of 2017, kind of going into 2018 is really when I decided to raise my, my speed drastically because I'm I was on the road too much, right? Like if you see all the places that I've spoken at, it's been a fantastic um, experience and a fantastic journey, but it was really start, I was like burning out, 
right? And, and I so saw on your website, I had to engagements a year. Is that was that where you were at? Yeah. Where you were like, okay, this is close to burnout because eighty is like yeah, and that's, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot, right? And that was actually actually probably an understatement if I think of like the local things that I was doing too, like a panel here mm-hmm. or even the things that we host inside of our space or you know some right your own like. Right, right. And then our own events, right? Like we were, we did a national tour into seven cities last year with our conference. And so it just became too much for me. And um, each and of those conferences represents planning, execution, logistics. All it of is it. a lot all of, of energy doing your own events. We do it's four a lot. here for our company and it's like Girl, four here for my speaking right. company. <laughs> and I'm just like, mm, that's, that's the limit. <laughs> One a quarter. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. And I don't think people fully understand like what goes on into event planning. Um, I think, you know, from the first time we ran our first conference to bringing on an event producer. Uh, so like we kind of, we got a better understanding of like what it means to like fully execute an event. And then I think when you talk about, cause you do, like I see you go into multiple cities and then when you go into a whole other city, yeah. oh my gosh, not only is it logistically crazy, you also want to make sure that you're building great relationships with the people that are in the community because if you don't like it could be disastrous yeah um and even with all best intentions sometimes people don't realize and know that and that could actually sabotage the the amazing work that you're trying to do in those cities and those are big learning lessons for us um but it also i think with my like speaking career and like the advice that i am able to impart with people is just like i know what it means to be a speaker and i also know what it means to book speakers and also pay speakers and like what we're looking for, what people are looking for, what gets them answering the, like your email, picking up your phone, like all of that. And so that has been an eye-opening experience for me just from the very early days of what we were doing to running our events to then like having a f- fully built out like support and team of like the work that I do and like my speaking career as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, is, it is a ton of work running your event and it's a lot of work running two companies. Yeah. Because we do speak your way to cash, but I have my own law firm. So it's so interesting mm-hmm. when my clients are like, you know, and it, it, it's good in that a lot of my clients have been able to be served by both companies. So there's a lot of overlap because most mm-hmm. speakers are entrepreneurs, they need trademarks, et cetera. And we handle yeah. all of that. And that's, that was an unexpected surprise. But it is two separate businesses that you have to run, which my bookkeeper and accountant keep me very keen on. <laughs> so uh-huh. it, it is a lot more work than I anticipated having multiple fully running, <laughs> growing businesses at the same time. And you are doing that yeah. in that you have the tech side and then you have a speaking business. What does your team look like on the speaking business side? How is that, yeah. how is that yeah. organized? Yeah. So I have a phenomenal, phenomenal executive assistant uh, that my husband and I share. She's been on the team for the past three years. Um, She was actually one of the people that was just like, Felicia, you're not charging enough, right? Like this is, this is insanity. Like I, I know how hard like you're working and how much you're traveling. Like, why are you not charging enough? And I'm like, but I'm like running this or, you know, all of that stuff. And so like, if anything, I attribute <laughs> like this uh, multiple six-figure uh, speaking business to her of just like Felicia, like what the f, like what are you doing, right? And so like that of anything else that she does in my life, I always have to give uh, Gloria and Romaine like a shout out for like that, right? And so, um, so that's the part on the prospecting side. We have two VAs that do all of that kind of speaker grunt work for us yeah um and so like finding putting the list together on an ongoing basis um pretty much like weekly like we're looking at stuff we're following up or responding back to to things Um, i'm fortunate enough because of like the sheer amount of media attention on the work that i that i do and the really good feedback that i've gotten because of the speaking engagements that i've done a lot of inbound stuff comes in and so that Gloria on my executive assistant primarily handles all of the inbound. And then once we get to a point where it's like, hey, they either want to speak with me or we're at like contract negotiation and everything that comes with that, she handles that. But the, the VAs kind of handle all kind of back end stuff of just oh, like find, yeah, right. finding the leads. And she handles contract negotiation, rider, my rider, um, all travel and logistics. Um, phone calls. After I do a phone call with someone, we're sending out one of my planners. I have a focus planner that we send out. Um, after I speak at an engagement, usually within 48 hours, there's an edible arrangement on their desk. I can attribute that to getting 
uh, repeat speaking engagements and high repeat speaking engagements a lot because I think a lot of people don't. You know, I, I think so many people just send an, an email, if that at all. Right, just like, that. thank you, right? Thank you for spending a few thousand dollars on me. Here is a crappy, like, canned email that I sent from the plane. And that's just not enough. You know, I think most of us don't realize, or I think it's just customer service in general, right? There's a human being on the under, other end yeah. of that. And running an event, like we both know, is really hard, right? And so when someone takes the time out to say, hey, I value the fact that you had to fundraise probably yes. or um, or go up the chain of command or champion for me internally in order for me to get booked, at minimum, let me like ask you some questions when I'm at the event and see the things that you like and put that thing on your desk as just appreciation, right? Right. Not just for booking me, but like for a job well done because it's really hard to run events. Right. That is, you know, I, I can I can attribute a lot to like our system, but I think that has been one of the things that has um time and time and time again has gotten me a referral, right? So like I had a 20K speaking engagement for Google earlier this year, and one of the organizers uh, referred me to her 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 um her friend that was also running an event. And they had a budget, right? Why? Yes, I did a really good job, but I guarantee you, she did. She was just like, let me figure out how to return the favor when this huge edible arrangement landed on my desk. Yeah. It cost me a hundred dollars. I bill that in into like you know um, into like our line items of of like um, like the uh, Ashley. I bill that in when we're like looking at like the cost that it takes and requires me to be able to execute an event, so that there's always a line item for a, a thank you gift. Um, and not just at that time, but then I also usually send something not as big, but during Christmas and holiday times as well, because, hey, it's fourth quarter. It's the end of the year. They may have some budget. They may be planning. I want to thank them, but I also want them to continue to think about me as they're planning for it for the following year. And I think it's the small things that people forget end up being like really substantial when you're talking about returning, um, bringing someone back to speak, maybe for a different type of event or referring them to someone else that it could also bring, um, pay them to be there. Yeah, and companies as well as colleges have departments. So mm -hmm. as long as you do a great job, it's nothing for them to put you on with the orientation department or with some other department, especially if they're a paying client, because they already right. know your rates roundabout. Um, and it's, a, it's just a better referral. Do you all track how much of your business year to year is from new business and outreach versus referrals and repeat business? Yeah, we do. And so I would say about 35% is repeat. Um, and it's repeat in two different ways, right? So not always the same event, uh, but usually the same client and maybe another event or another department. So we track that. Um, I would say referrals are probably about 30% as well, uh, 25 to 30%. And we, and we track that. And then the rest of that is just our new events. Um, you know, for, for me, even this past year, like Google has been a repeat client of ours, um, Google and Target. Right. And so, but for di completely different departments, completely different cities, I did two in Chicago. Right. Um, and then like the, the Bay area office, the, um, the Austin office. And so, and women's history month is like my jam. Right. And yeah. so February and March, I do a good chunk of my speaking engagements. Um, because it's one, it's Black History Month, and then two, it's um, it's Women's History Month. Mm -hmm. And the work that I do around diversity and inclusion for in corporations and in the tech space, it fits well within those two spaces. And so right now is really busy for us because it's not January when we're like reaching out. It right. has been the past two months. It's going to go continue into the rest of the year, and I'm sending we're sending them very specific. Um, um, oh goodness very specific marketing material about the two talks that I can give um, during those months. And then the other part of that is like with conferences is really also showing them how their sponsors can pay for me to be there. And that's a big thing that we work on because that's, that's, uh, that's how um, a, we end up paying speakers for Black Tech Week. Like we have sponsors that come in and they say, hey, you know, we're selling verticals to them a lot of times, right? Thought leadership is really big within corporations and they want to have someone senior on their staff be able to say they're an authority in this specific topic, whether they're kind of building this person into authority or want, or they want to be able to kind of um, rule or kind of curate like this conversation and then kind of use whatever comes out of that. And so sometimes they have people that are on their team that they want to put on the stage 
But then a lot of times they do that and they ask us like, you know, I need you guys to identify maybe two more people that can speak on 5G, right? And that's a great example. That's something that we did earlier this year for a major telecom um, um, telecom uh, company, right? And and so we had budget to pay people that could speak on 5G to be on a panel, not even a keynote, but to be actually be on a panel. And so most people, I feel like, aren't even approaching it in that instance of saying, all right, if the conference can't afford me, are you having a conversation with the conference organi- organizer on like how you fit in into what their sponsors want to get out of this? Because sponsors don't want to just be a logo on the stage or like rotating on the screen anymore. Like they want either an actual activation there or they want a thought leadership and they want to kind of own a vertical and own a topic and own a conversation. And that is something for me that has also become very lucrative because I can speak on specific topics on behalf of these companies. It's almost like an influencer, right? Like it's the exact kind of same thing, but you're an influencer on the stage speaking and kind of being sponsored on behalf of these corporations. And, you know, you look at the South by Southwest and like, um, SoCap and you look at Summit and like all these places that these corporations want to be able to have a more significant stake in the conversation, what's being said and how they're viewed and what their position is on these specific topics, especially when you're talking about diversity and inclusion. And if they can align themselves with someone that is mission aligned with them, um, not that you turn into like a walking commercial, but like they like what you have to say and they technically are sponsoring you to then go out and speak on behalf of them. Um, or and in alignment with ever, that is something huge. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. You've said so many good things. Okay, guys, I know you all are scribbling <laughs> notes left and right. The first thing she said that I wanted to point out was that she tracks, first off, she tracks stuff, okay? Just note that. Mm-hmm. But repeat business, referral business, and new events, those are really good metrics to track. And we've mm-hmm. talked before about other metrics you all can be tracking as well. But then we talked about this and we kind of brushed past it because you're such a pro, you've been doing this so long, but you have a process things that you do before the event, things that you do. And, and it's a consistent enough process that if one client were to talk to another large client, the process wouldn't diverge greatly. It's no. not like you got no. full arrangements. I didn't get anything from her. I guess she hates our phone. So, so having a consistent process, I'm assuming this is written down. You all, you have a great executive assistant, which is key. Yeah. But make sure you guys have some type of a process and mm-hmm. plan it well before you get the event. Because a lot of people who listen are um, brand new to speaking and they're looking yeah. to get into it. And one of the things my husband, who's like my manager, helped me with was he's like, you know, you're going to go, because I've been a lawyer for so long, a trial lawyer. So I was traveling all around the world with a huge team doing my legal work and I had an assistant for everything. And when I became independent, I would, you know, I'd have these great ideas. I would start to implement them and then I would wait until someone would bite and then I would have to implement more. And he was like, you know, it's going to happen. Like someone's going to call you and they're like, all right, I've seen this, this, that you do this. I want to hire you for it. I want you to fly out tomorrow Will you be ready for that? So think about the gifts you're going to send mm-hmm. afterwards. Start talk- they have great companies now that can really automate this whole process yeah, um, and make yeah. it really personalized. So just think about these things now. Don't wait until you get that first client or that first paying client to think through your complete process. Please don't. Right, right. <laughs> Please don't. No, wait. it's 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 actually it's it's going from being a hustler to a CEO, right? And yes. so, like when you are a hustler, you're just like. Anything and everything, like send it my way. I'm gonna figure it out. And when you move to a point where, like, I'm not gonna hustle anymore. I'm. I know what my thing is. I'm gonna start saying no to things that are not it in order to leave room for the things that are it. But then, like, as the CEO, right, and having like that hat on and keeping that hat on, it allows you to put processes in place, right? And then it also allows you to put systems in place. It allows you to put people and teams in place. And immediately, as you have an idea, it's not like, all right, let me you're going to do the thing that is within your zone of genius. And then knowing enough as a CEO to say, I need the best team possible to support and make sure this vision actually happens. Right. And so I would love to say that happened for me overnight. It was not the case. Uh, It was definitely been a process to get to this point, but even just being able to manage multiple companies, it's like, I play a I, I play a significant role, but I play a very small role in the day to day operations because I would just be getting in the way and like literally effing stuff up, right? Not trying yeah. to curse on your podcast because I would be right because those things aren't the best use of Felicia's time anymore, um, and I had to know that my team had to be empowered enough to know that, and that way we put systems in place so they know at what point Felicia needs to be involved. 
and they know like how I best show up for that situation, right? Those things are extremely, extremely important. And so that when someone does call, you can either say yes or no, if it makes sense, and you can quickly kind of deploy whatever support is needed in order to make that, make that happen and make sure that that becomes a really good either relationship that you continue to foster or you show up on that stage and you're able to show out because you're not tired. You're not like, hold on, I can't do this because I got to answer this phone call and like do this one thing. Like that is not being a good steward of the trust that people are having with you when they're booking you to come to and speak at their event. Like they are booking you, yes, for the time that you're on stage, but we both know there's so much more, right? There's the dinner sometimes, there's the lunch sometimes, there is a number, you know, there's people rushing you afterwards and talking. And there's so much, right? And people, the the thing is like people that have booked you, they're watching. If they're not watching, someone on their team is watching every single one of those interactions. And I know for us with Black Tech Week, and this is a feedback that I get when I speak, like one of the things that they say, one of the things that we look for even with speakers is just like, is this person going to be one, a surface speaker? Because we don't want them. Like we want people to like get the information and get the support that they need. And then two, is this person going to immediately run to the green room? And if that person's the type of person that's going to immediately run to the green room, it's either a person that we won't invite to speak um, or we'll never invite them back. Because our goal for our event is to really, truly help people understand how they can make serious coins within the tech and innovation space. And that's the other feedback that I get, right? Like, I don't run into a green room. I I have to do things to kind of protect my energy because I'm a functioning introvert, right? So that's, that's one thing. But I'm also going to be as accessible as possible when I speak at events because I know that that's the real value that people get that may not raise their hand, right? Or they may not feel like they are being seen or heard. And you don't want that to be the reason that they write off that conference and never come back because you want people to be feel like they're seen or heard as much as you possibly can, but also know your organizer and the p- people that are potentially will bring you back are also looking at that. Like, were they accessible? Were they friendly? Um, but most importantly, like, did they stay around enough to get enough questions kind of answered so that our audience feels that they got the best thing for their buck for the investment that they made coming to that event? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and one of the, the things that you mentioned is that you started off going back to pricing a bit, $125 at one point, and then you kind of just slid it in there that now your rate is around $20,000. One of the things, we just had our um, last Speaker Ready Cash live event of the year, and one of the things that one of the um, attendees asked was, you know, she had only received $650 for her highest paid speaking engagement to date. If she were to jump to charging five or even $10,000, would they know <laughs> that previously people paid her less? And I know that at, from, at, from an employee mindset, we are always thinking of like, um, yeah, what's yeah. your previous salary? And you have to disclose that sometimes when you're interviewing. Thankfully, Illinois now made that illegal, mm-hmm. which is great. But people are worried about that. How did you even muster mm-hmm. up the courage or gumption to charge that amount? And then did your clients have to shift to accommodate that? Because colleges are typically yeah. not paying that unless you're a president or a celebrity or something drastic is happening. Right, right. So um, this is a really great question. And so one of the things to address first is like I very rarely speak at college campuses, right? And so mm-hmm. they are not my audience. And so I had to make a few adjustments, right? One, um, organize, organizations, conferences, even speakers, bureaus are not asking me what my past um, rate was for speaking engagements. Right. They're asking me what my current rate is, right? Mm-hmm. And so I answer that question. This is my current rate. Um, making that shift was not, it was not as hard to do from a system standpoint as much as it had to do as from a mentality standpoint. I got the receipts, right? And I can right. say that unapologetically. You can Google me till you turn blue. I've done this work, but most importantly, I've been able to provide not only transformation with the sheer amount of people that have helped raise significant funding, the co-working space, like spaces that we built, the things that government can like look and see, like proof of like the work, like we've done that. So right. that is not the issue. Um, the other part of that is like also my speaking career, right? Like you can lean on, call on any of like the Coca-Colas of the world, the South by Southwest, Google, Target, Samsung, like you can call these people and they will tell you that I've done good work. So it's not that, it's not, right. it wasn't that either, right? And so I think if you're going to increase um, what you're doing, increase what you're charging, one, you got to make sure you got the receipts. Two, you might need to own the receipts. And then I guarantee most of the people 
um, that are in your audience. And I love your podcast, by the way. I've listened to it quite a few times on my <laughs> travels, right? Thank um, you. They're probably undercharging for yeah. the transformation that they're delivering. One, make sure that you're providing transformation because that's what people want. It's not so much about motivational speaking these days, not to knock the motivational speaker. Please don't call me a motivational speaker. Will I inspire and motivate in the delivery of, of how I do my thing when I absolutely, but my goal is to provide a transformation. You're going to come in feeling one way and you're going to not only be transformed mentally from a mindset standpoint, but you're also going to have tactical um, information and resources when you leave here. And that's my goal. And I think that's the goal that most people as organizers, they want to see happen. And so you need to be able to um, relay that in your emails that you send. You need to relay that on the calls that you get, kind of like your pitch calls that you get. Yep. Um, you need to be able to relay that at every point because that is what they're looking for. And then be able to give them all the tools that they need to be able to say, not only for the person that you're on the phone with to say yes, but the committee, because there's always a committee. Yeah. Even if it's one other person, right? Or it's a formal committee, there's always committee and more than likely the other people on that committee were not in the, the audience when that person was in the audience, right? Or they weren't moved at the time that that person received your video and saw your message and they felt personally moved. That other person on the committee might not be able to do feel that way at initially. They're going to be like, who is this person? And so you have to be able to, to unapologetically answer that question. I have a mastermind that I teach called No Introduction Required. And it's very much for people in the getting into the speaking business, but that is not my highest priority. It's like, do you know who you are? And when people ask you who you are as an expert, when you follow up in that, like your book, I have this kind of thing called your power because statement, right? You say, mm -hmm. this is what I'm an expert in because. And in the because, it's not time for you to be humble, right? right. It is the time for you to be like, have the audacity like Kanye West, right? Whether you love yeah. him or hate him, whether you, you listen Which to him, whatever. Which I like to whatever. call what he calls delusional confidence. Right. You, but, but the thing is, and Ashley and I, um, you know, the people that we work with and we serve, that we want just to get, get them put on to what the financial possibilities are, they have the receipts. And so yeah. we're not telling them to embellish or lie. I'm just telling you to own what you've sacrificed for, the scars, the bruises, every no that eventually led to a yes. I just want people to own that. And so yeah. like my theory is not so much that people are underprepared to pitch themselves. They're undervaluing exactly what their expertise is and what they can provide these organizations. Like that's what I, I see the most, right? And, I, that's and they the have to I approach organizations if they want to get to 10, 15, 20K, 100K contracts, yeah. they have to have the money and the mindset to do that as an organization. So you have to watch who you're pitching. It can't, yeah. it can't be complete. Like you're not going to go to a high school and say, I need 20K for a keynote. Like that's right, not right. your audience. <laughs> they will be like, okay, we're going to give you this $200 and a chicken dinner. Like that is what... Yeah. I actually had a high school, I gave them my rate and they were like, because they had reached out to me. I don't pitch high schools. And um, I mm -hmm. gave them my rate and they were like, well, normally we just provide lunch. And I was like, here's what I'm going to do. There are some people who I know would probably <laughs> love this opportunity. They do it for the video. I'm going to score this to them. I don't speak for lunch. Now, <laughs> if, right, right. You know, if it's my church, that's different. But no, yeah. that's not what we do. So you have to, sometimes it's just, it, sometimes you are really great, like Felicia is saying, but if the organization mm -hmm. genuinely does not have the budget, they cannot pay you from what they don't have. Or you may be speaking right. to the wrong department. All departments yeah. are not created equal. So Or the wrong conference or event yeah. together, right? So like really zeroing in on who your target market is, is going to be extremely beneficial for you. And that's something that I also had to do, right? Because like I, I, I did marketing for NBA and Nintendo. Like I could speak on marketing and branding mm -hmm. all day long. Like, and like when I would be asked to speak on something, like, sure, I can speak on, on that. Like I'll take that check and speak on that. And not until I got like very clear on what my, I have two signature talks, right? That's it. If you see Felicia speak today and you see Felicia speak, more than likely, I'm probably going to give the same, the same talk. My stories are going to be a little bit different. I have a lot of engagement with the audience, so it may not feel it. But you're going to, the same, I promise you, I'm giving you the same two talks. Like it's one or the other, yeah. depending on the audience. I know exactly who my audience is. And that's why I said, I don't speak at colleges. Will I speak at a college if it makes sense every now and then, but more than likely, you're not going to see Felicia on a college campus. It's one of my um, um, 
past um, past bookers, right, or past clients is asking me, or they're going on a college tour, know that I'm speaking on behalf of them if you see me at a college. That, does that make sense, right? And so that that's one part. I think the other part to kind of think of, and one of my, my favorite kind of lines to use with people is when either I'm getting um, pushback on my, on my price, um, is I usually say, you know what, I, there's a certain level in which your audience um, deserves, right, of thought leadership, um, of, of access um, of information that they deserve. And in order for me to give them the talk that they deserve and the time that they deserve, this is the, this is the amount that I require. And I don't ever get pushed back on that because why? You don't ever want to run an organization and feel like you're going to get less than what your audience deserves or what you deserve. And, and so it's like, if anyone needs any kind of like tidbits, like that's what I use. And that's my pushback to people. And they will either say yes or no. But in order for me to give something of quality, um, this is the amount that is required in order for me to make sure I'm delivering at the quality that your audience deserves. Well, I'm glad that you charge them the rate that you charge, if not more. And I can't wait till it goes up because honestly, from working with a lot of organizations, my background is as an employment discrimination lawyer for some of this country's largest Mm -hmm. corporations. And when it came to diversity training, they wanted to spend the least amount of money because it really is not valued. And I've always told companies what you value, you pay for. Of course. If this is not something that you value, then be honest with yourself, be honest with your employees and be honest on those cute little brochures. This (laughs) is not something that you really value because what I've learned working for these companies, what they value, they pay for. And diversity is typically not something that they're willing to pay a lot for. Um, No, no. Versus training. So did you ever do, do you still do some corporate training? Do you do any of that or does it take too long? And how did you shift from pitching for keynote engagements? Is it typically at corporate conferences or how does that, how does that look? Because even the pitching for all of that is very different. Yeah. I I typically am only pitching for, for keynotes. Um, That's, that's when I do my best work. Uh, I have a few consulting clients that I work with right now. Um, and those have come as a result of doing a keynote with them really, really well and talking about like what's next. And so even for me and kind of like the focus of my team, it's the, the keynote is kind of the entry point to the door and I need to be paid for my keynote and I am. But the conversation that I'm having more and more when I get on those initial kind of expl- exploration calls with them is about like, what's the plan after this? And I'm having that conversation oftentimes before the ink is even like dried or the contract is even officially sent over for like the the keynote, because to me, that's important, right? Like having a longer term engagement with this audience, um, because I know that they're my core audience and and how I can serve them has become really important to me and has also become really lucrative to me as well. The other part of that is like the conference organizer, like it's become really more important to them as well because they've been running events and what the feedback that they constantly get back is like, people are really excited, excited. It's rah, rah. It's a pep rally. Like people are moved. And then they leave the next day they go home or they get back into the office. They have no idea how to implement that stuff. And that has become the biggest kind of like door opening entry point into talking about longer term engagement. So whether that's me coming back a couple of times and doing like a, a deep dive more intensive with a smaller group, not like the 600 people, but maybe about 20 people, um, or it's a longer term engagement, or it's like my online training program that I'm implementing and, and working with them on um, for either a few select uh, employees, a, a few select staff people, or some higher level like C-suite people. Like that has become the thing. And that's the conversation. I think that is also the play for most of us in this space, kind of looking at like you know, not trade because we're still trading time for dollars, right? It's right. more dollars, which is exciting, but I still physically have to be there. And that's something that I am going to raise my rates up again, because I don't want to travel as much. I still have a, a dollar amount that I want to make every single year speaking. But then there's this other way that I want to be able to service people online and be able to have access point with them. That That's the thing that I'm really starting to sell. And so sometimes I sell that back a room, but most of the time I'm selling that on that initial call. And then like my follow-up process with, with the organizer is really where um, those two things are starting to happen. That's really good. And then were you the person that trained your uh, secondary VA team on how to research or did they kind of develop their own process for that? No, I had to do all that training. 
Um, and I've cycled through a few VAs over the years. I'm sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's how that works, right? Right, it's the nature of it. But I think, you know, I think it's really, I think in, unless you're working with the Speakers Bureau or you're lucky enough to kind of find someone seasoned online, you're going to have to train someone in the style in which you want them to, one, represent you, two, um, prospect for you. And then like what the process is leading from the initial contact, right, all the way up to it being booked and then what happens afterwards. And so, yes, I could have my executive assistant do all of that, but like that grunt work is not the best use of her time and she's not cheap, right? And so right. so it, it, it's really important for people to realize that like even if you go on Upwork and put like I'm looking for a speaker VA, like more than likely you're not going to get back what you think you're expecting to get. And so you definitely have to document your process, document the culture and the conversations that you want them to have, and then know that you're going to nurture them over the course of a few weeks and maybe even a few months before you let them go. And so even in the beginning stages, when I first bring someone on, like they're CCing me on every single email that they send out. It is aggravating, but I get to see like, are they changing the, the copy depending on like who the person is, who the company is? Are they inserting things the right way? Are they handling like the handover conversations? Like I need to be able to see all of that and just really be really confident um, in order to take them to the next step. The other part is making sure that you're doing the job description really well. I think a lot of people do a really crappy job yeah. on the job description, but then expect like stellar, like, you know, MBA that was me. worthy people. <laughs> <laughs> that was me all day. I was like, I don't even have time. I'm so rushed. I'm going right. to put this together. No, no. It's, 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 an, it's an aggravating process, Ashley, but it's like, it's <laughs> probably one of the most important things that you can do because like, if you don't spend time on the job description, you get exactly the time you put in. Like that's the quality of the people that are going to re be responding. And then you look at them. Like, you know, sometimes we're just like, man, we can't find, there's no good people. Like the good people are there but they're also looking for a quality opportunity for them to be a part of. And so take the time to write that job description. It, it sucks. I know it. I hate writing job descriptions. I've had to hire hundreds of people in my lifetime, in my personal career, but it's one of the things that I have personally learned definitely over the last, I would say even two years um, of making sure that I'm taking a lot of time to do that, especially when I'm hiring a, a speaker VA. Yeah, it just takes, it just takes time. Another thing it that does. I didn't account for is like the person you hire um, month one, hopefully from working with you will get so good that mm -hmm. their time becomes too valuable to do the things you originally hired them for. Yeah. And it was um, my, one of my, my executive assistant came to me recently and was like, look, this is taking me a lot of time and I'm handling higher level client tasks. Can we hire someone to do this research. And at first I'm like, well, I already hired yeah. you to do this research, but I had to look at the numbers and what she was helping me generate. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. you gotta hire someone else, but then also helping yeah. her to learn how to push work down so that it's not my new responsibility to now manage all these mm -hmm. other people. So you just have to, it, it's really fluid and it is a learning experience. And from working in corporate and having a team under me, they were all the best at what they did because I worked mm -hmm. for the best firm in one of the best firms in the country. So I never worried about hiring good people. They were all great. If you were the janitor there, you were the best janitor in that area. Like it was just no issue. Yeah. But being on your own, you have to be really flexible. And then I've also learned you have to be flexible with people's mistakes. You can't just fire people for like mm -hmm. mistakes. That's crazy and expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't do any of that. Um, so this is all really, really, really good CEO mindset stuff. Yeah. yeah. Hire, I mean, hire the, like you said, hire the support person for your support person, right? Like yeah. oftentimes, cause that's the thing, right? You think of like, oh man, I gotta like bring another person on. It's another person that I gotta manage. Like, no, like if your person is good at what they do, um, cause at all the time we are doing like zone of genius work, right? Like I'm, right. I'm, I'll reference that book a lot, Gay Hendricks, um, The Big Leap. And so if you find someone that is complementary to the work that you suck at, right? And mm -hmm. they're working in their zone of genius, they're going to get to a point, one, especially when you're talking about someone supporting your speaking career, because they should be in a revenue generating position for you, right? Like yeah. that's why they're doing this work for you. And so they're going to get to a point um, once they are like matured enough and really fully are like, wheels are turning and they're doing that work for you, they're going to need one, at least one support person or probably multiple support people, 
Like this is very much a business. And I think oftentimes people think like, I just got to put a website up. Like I just got to, you know, maybe write a few opt-eds or whatever, get some media attention and then boom, I'm going to be flooded. Even if that is the case, you still need a team to like field all of those requests. Like it doesn't, it doesn't stop either way. It's, if it's inbound or outbound, you're prospecting, like you're still going to need support. So like build that now, map that out now. So that when you get to a point that you know, like, this is what I need to hire. Um, this is, and this is the type of person that I need to hire and know that everyone on the team needs to be in a revenue generating capacity. And if you're track, tracking your numbers, you know, like at what point that they are and when they are not right. Like those are the things. And it sucks. Like I am saying all this advice because of the bruises and the scars and yeah. like the, the late nights of truly getting this wrong before I started to get this right. And so like when I say like I'm commanding $20,000 now, that's not, that's not just overnight. Like that I've been speaking for how I'm 36 now, right? Like I've been speaking for a really long time and I have been underpaid for a really long time. And that became because of me and because I wasn't willing to bring people on. I wasn't bringing people on at the right time. I wasn't putting the right job descriptions together. I didn't fully understand their role. Um, I was too afraid of like the ebb and flow of the speaking business and not realizing that if I had the right support, I would lessen the ebb and flow of the speaking business and like be able to kind of piece things out, like, and then be able to open up these new opportunities with corporations and organizations and foundations that I speak on and that pay me. Like, I can't open up those new opportunities if Felicia Hatcher is literally doing everything. It doesn't work like that. And so what you've seen over the past two years of kind of essentially going from five to 10K to 20 has been a result of like, just like Ashley said, like putting a system together, putting a team together and using all the revenue that comes in to be able to support that team so that we can continue to do more work together. Yeah, so this is this is great. And so I'm hoping that in as we begin to get to the end of this interview and we're closing out, there are so many people that are in the first five years of their speaking career what tools would you recommend they use? And like what tech tools would help them with yeah, prospecting? Yeah. And we've talked a little bit about this in the past, but at your level with your expertise, what tools do you recommend they use to help skyrocket their speaking career? Yeah, yeah. Um, what tools? I, I would say at minimum, get yourself some good video. Like get yourself yeah. some good video. Honestly, record every single talk that you do. You never know when you can repackage that into something else. Um, that would be it, right? So I'm going to say a really good tripod with your whatever smartphone that you have at minimum, set that thing up yourself. Don't ever rely on the conference to get you your video. More than likely, you're never going to see that video. So make sure you capture that yourself on just the basic level of like what I think I should, I, I see too many people speaking and not like capturing content. At minimum audio, if you can capture the audio and sometimes that's a video, we're in the podcast world, you can package that up. Um, that would be one thing that I recommend. I would say get yourself a really good CRM tool. So like, you know, we use Salesforce. I, there's other better tools out there, I think, for speakers. But because I use it with the work that I do with Black Tech Week, it's just very easy for us to kind of manage everything through, through that. Um, I use Basecamp with my team a lot. There are also other sexier tools, but that one works for me. Um, what else would I say from a tech tool standpoint? Um, you know, I would say package up your talks for social media. I, I don't do it a lot because most of my my speaking engagements have not come from people seeing me on social, but I see the value of it in connecting, kind of selling courses that I do and selling more seats into the events that we personally run. So I think it's extremely invaluable for the storytelling component of, of, of that. Um, what else would I say are good tech tools? You use any um, um, tools to find email addresses or does your team use any of those types of tools like Sales Navigator on LinkedIn or any of that? Yeah, so LinkedIn premium account, I recommend, right? And so that has really helped us. We have multiple LinkedIn premium accounts in order to try to get around like the, what is it, the 30 contact limit or the 20 contact limit. And so we use that quite a bit. Um, gosh, there's a tool that we use and I cannot think of the name, but I can, I'll email it to you, Ashley, okay. um, that we use in order to find corporate email addresses. I'll, I'll find it. Um, and I don't use it anymore. The, the team uses it, but I'll, I'll find the name of it. So that is really helpful for us too, for just having a contact and then being able to find like what their actual email address is, their name. Um, 
I would say, you know, one of the things that I think is really powerful for people that are in the speaking business that I don't see people doing enough, um, getting really amazing press and like leveraging free media has been so valuable for, for me, my platform, spreading the message around the work that we do. And then even that leading back to the awards and speaking engagements. Uh, so Haro, like I am a firm like supporter of Haro, help a reporter out. I've been using it for, for years. Um, I check it every day. I don't do any of the filters. So like everything that is posted on Haro comes to us in an email and we shift through it, not just for things that relate to like my business, but then also things that relate to me personally. Um, I remember like I got featured on Black Enterprise years ago um, with me and my husband flew a photographer down, like, I think like a four page spread. And it was about like finance, like personal finances or something like that. Right. But we were able to talk about all the work that we do. Amazing. Got featured on the, the today show from, a re- from responding to something on Haro. That was a five minute segment for our food business. And so like, I love it. It's amazing. Right. And, and I can go on like a long list of like media stuff that came from, from Haro. I had a good friend of mine who owns a, a car wash company in um in St. Louis. His name's Sylvester Chisholm. And he got featured on the um the full front page of the business section and the Wall Street Journal after I told him to use Haro. And he responded to and this is the thing, right? So sometimes people don't see a flashy name so they won't respond to the thing. He responded to a inquiry on Haro that asked for um businesses that outsource their social media. Right. And so right. like you're thinking Wall Street Journal, it's going to be like these big, like whatever. And he was like, me and my brother, me and my friend own a car detailing company in St. Louis. They flew a photographer out. It became the gift that kept on giving for him because it's syndicated. And so like all these publications start caught. Like it oh was just like amazing. Oh my goodness. So the, the other That is why that, I love this show, by the right? way, because these are just nuggets that you would never are using it. And so, but the thing is, do not filter, right? And I know it could be aggravated because then you'll get the long email. You get three long emails from them a day. And when I tell people this, they'll filter it down to their industry and say, when you do that, you're missing out on opportunities that you may be a fit for that either the journalists didn't categorize the right way, or they're just, they're just kind of casting a wide net. And because you filtered it down specifically to like health and beauty, then you're going to miss out on all these other things. Health and, health and beauty intersects with tech and it intersects with like all these other different things. So do that. And if you need to put your VA in charge of doing that, then have them do that. I like to just look at it personally and then I'll, you don't need a press release. You respond really quick, whatever I can't respond to like sitting at the traffic light or on the toilet for lack of better, you know, (laughs) we get work done done. Uh, or waiting for a meeting. If I can't respond to it in that quickly, then I usually just don't respond because I don't have the time. And the short response that answers their question right away gets gets the thing. The last thing that I want to say on tech tools, kind of online around this media thing, is writing op-eds. Yes. It is, it is the ultimate power move. Um, and I am all about power, right? I don't like weak language. I speak on inf- innovation and I speak on imposter syndrome. But I speak on it from a, po- a point of power on how we show up into rooms, right? And so yes. op-eds are the ultimate power move and can open up the floodgates for you if you do this the right way and get um, picked up by the right media outlet for huge speaking opportunities that will really position you as a thought leader. And I don't see people using it enough. No. Um, I'm going to plug the op-ed project because I went through their program twice and that's how I even really fully understood um, op-eds. But I'm going to plug them because if you go on their website, they actually have a list of all the op-ed editors at all the major publications across the United States with their full contact info and with how they like to be contacted. Like that yep. is at least $10,000 worth of free information yep. right there through Ashley podcast because the list is there. So you don't have to do the grunt work of figuring out like who writes for what, like you don't have to do that, but you do need to put an op-ed together. And so when things um, are national news or international news that fit within like it's the zeitgeist, right? Things that are going on in the world that fit within your speaking topic, you need to voice your opinion on that. And then you need to pitch that. You got to be timely, right? So within the first 24, 40 hours, write an op-ed, send that to all those major news outlets, especially if it's in a city um, or a state that you want to be traveling to and doing business or speaking at, do that. 
um, and continue to do that. And then you start to get hits. And then those things I've seen go from being an op-ed to like a column to a feature. Like these are real possibilities. And I've, I've been doing them religiously and I've seen a lot of success and a lot of notoriety. I'm speaking at a conference um, next month um, in New York, specifically because of an op-ed that I wrote four, three, four months ago around the work that I was doing and around like Google's announcement around their diversity number. So y'all use those resources. They exist. And that would be my list, Ashley. That would be my list. That was fabulous. That was fabulous. Oh my goodness. I hope you all are taking notes and getting all of these gems that Felicia's dropping. So Felicia, where can we find you and what's next for you? Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Um, you can find me easily at Felicia Hatcher on literally everything because it's easy for me to remember um, <laughs> feliciahatcher.com at felicia hatcher literally on all social media what's next for me i um i mentioned my my mastermind and my training that i do called no introductions required it's a really big bold statement uh, it is very much about owning your power knowing that you got the receipts and using it and then using that to either catapult you on stages or move your movement forward um, I'm mostly, it's mostly women. It's open to everyone, but it's mostly women, but that's the thing that I'm working on next. Right. And so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the group. I'm excited about helping people connect their influences, uh, to coin and most importantly, like just being more powerful in this world. Right. And so that's it. Um, that's where I'm at. That's online. That is kind of my new focus, even with my speaking engagements is really around kind of power influence and um, playing a much bigger role in the world within the innovation economy. So that's, that's me. I love that. Thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for your knowledge. You all get your pen, listen to this twice. Some of you email me and say you listen to some episodes twice. This is going to be a, a run it back type of episode. So be sure to listen to this twice. Thank you again for joining the Speak Your Way to Cash podcast. And for all of you out there, thank you so much. And we will talk to you guys next time. <laughs>